Take your Bibles and please turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And as you're turning there, I want to again make you aware of a very important aspect of our worship assembly. And that is our offering that we bring before the Lord every Sunday. There are four different ways that we've made it possible for you to give your offering. You can uh, mail a check to our church address. You can give an automatic draft through your bank. You can go online to our website, thesidesprings.com. There's a little button there. Just click on give and follow these instructions. Or if you're here in person, you can um, give your offering there at the table on your way out. And if you're not here in person, certainly want to say to those of you that are live streaming with us, we are absolutely honored and humbled to have you with us this morning. In this story, it says that Jesus was reclining, not seated, but I decided I would not recline, but at least I would enjoy the pleasure of sitting today for this lesson. I think I might fall asleep if I start reclining. Let's pray. Lord, it is my preference that you take this moment and lead it, as in this story. As we prepare to enter into communion, may it not be that I am leading us, but would you lead us? And I'll just give you this body and this mouth, and I pray that you would carry us into this upper room. Let us commune with you Let us hear, not only with our ears, but with our hearts, your words. May this be more than than information in our heads, but may it penetrate into our hearts. May we experience this moment, and may we live it out as we leave this place today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Luke 22, we're going to be looking in verses 7 through 20. Some years ago, I taught a series on the book of Proverbs, and, and, and we were going through a number of different topics, and one of the topics was on gossip, and perhaps you remember this lesson. I'm sure you remember all of the lessons, but um, the way we started out the lesson was I went over to the person sitting over there where Rob is, and I had a piece of paper, and I had a little sentence, and, and I whispered the sentence to that person, and then... I came back up here and I just started teaching the lesson on gossip. And so then while I was teaching, this person whispered to this person what they had heard me say. This person whispered to this person. This person whispered to this person. And that just went on until I was at a certain place in the sermon. I guess I was about 20 minutes in. It had made its way somewhere around here. And I asked this person here, please stand up and tell us what this sentence is that you heard this person just tell you. They stood up and told us what the sentence was. It was completely different than how it had started over here in this corner. Thus, the demonstration of one of the many dangers of gossip. But something like that can occur, or something like that, as we've already seen in this series, has occurred with the Lord's Supper over the years. 
We're going to look at here in, in chapter 22 of Luke, Jesus first instituting the Lord's Supper. He's giving his instructions to his disciples of this sacred meal that he wanted them to continue in. And so they did after he was gone. And, and the communion time, the Lord's Supper, the sacred meal, it was, it was a very important part of the early churches. But as we noticed over the past two weeks in 1 Corinthians 11, hardly, hardly 25 to 30 years later, the church in Corinth, whatever they had doing, their Lord's Supper had evolved into something that Paul said, this is not the Lord's Supper at all. And so he, he there, as we've looked at for two weeks, he, he instructed them, he reminded them of the manner of the Lord's Supper, the importance and its purpose. And he actually, in that passage, appealed to this very passage that we're going to be looking at here today in Luke chapter 22. And so you can only imagine, if that's what happened in only 25 to 30 years, what has happened to the Lord's Supper over the past centuries and centuries and centuries in churches all over the world? It's involved into all kinds different things and so just as it was important for the elders for the for the church in Corinth to be reminded of the importance and the manner of the Lord's Supper so also it is for us and for this reason our elders decided for seven weeks they just wanted to lead our communion service to help us to realign and then it was decided we'd have a, a, a series of lessons, and thus that's what we're doing. We're in, in lesson number three, just to remind us, this is what it's about. This is its purpose. This very important aspect of worship gathering. So here in, in Luke chapter 22, this is an evening that we are brought into with Jesus. And this is traditionally called the final week. And it all culminates on Sunday, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate that this Sunday. And so I want to encourage you to be here. I want to encourage you to bring flowers, to fill up these two crosses right here. It's a special part of our service. But more important than the flowers, I want to encourage you to bring someone with you. It's a wonderful opportunity for outreach. But at the beginning of this final week, as you look in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and even in John, we see that it began with what's traditionally known of as Palm Sundays. It's a day on the Christian calendar that we remember today when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And then as you keep reading in the story, we see how that Jesus went through a gauntlet of opposition by the religious leaders of Jerusalem. And I think the thing to, to realize is that he could have avoided all of this. He rode into Jerusalem knowing full well in advance what was going to happen. That he was going to be falsely accused. He was going to be arrested. He was going to go to trial. He was going to be brutally beaten. And he was going to be brutally executed. But he, he came anyway. This was his choice. If we remember anything about Palm Sunday, it was his choice. It was his decision. 
As he stated earlier, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. What he experienced in suffering in this final week, all culminating in the cross, was his choice for you. Because of you. In your place and mine. And so in this final tumultuous week, he he arranged to have almost certain of this, that it would have been on a Thursday night, some would disagree, but an, an evening to be alone with his disciples. It was a meal at a table. You read the Gospels, Jesus loved to eat. You read Luke, you see him at least seven times at a table. That's where he often met with people. And so now in this story, this is not just any meal. This is the Passover meal. This is one of the greatest of the, of the religious festivals of the Jewish people. The Passover was an important meal when the people stopped and they remembered this incredible story of how God had delivered them out of Egypt. He'd saved their lives and delivered them out of slavery. And some of us know the story, some of us don't. It's a story when, when Moses went before the Pharaoh. You remember what he said to Pharaoh? He said, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or at least that's how the song goes. We sang that last Sunday during Sunday school with so many of our children, our children's ministry and their children. Do you all want me to sing it for you today? Not happening. (laughs) It's live stream and they're going to be recorded. But maybe he did sing that song and maybe thinking, maybe Pharaoh got, okay, all right. (laughs) I'm sick of this song. But Pharaoh was stubborn. We're always so stubborn. God has to dig in so many times with us. He was so stubborn and so he would not, would not give in to the word of God spoken to him through the, through the servant Moses. And so God sent, as we know, these punishments. These called, they're called plagues. He wouldn't give. He wouldn't give. He wouldn't give until the tenth plague God had instructed the Israelites that on this night would be the death, imagine this, of the firstborn son of every home in Egypt. He said, on this night, I want you to take a lamb. This is the Passover lamb. I want you to sacrifice it, and I want you to take his blood, and I want you to put his blood upon the door frames of the homes. And the purpose for this was so that that evening when the Spirit of God would come through Egypt, and he would see the blood posted on the door frames of the homes. He would pass over those homes, and the firstborn of that home, the son, would be spared. They were instructed then to roast that lamb. And they were also to eat bitter herbs in a meal together. The bitter herbs were to remind them of how bitter it was. In Egypt, last week with the kids, we gave them horseradish. We wanted them to understand bitter They were also 
to prepare and eat unleavened bread because they were going to be leaving quickly that evening and there was no time to put yeast in the dough and to let it work its way through the dough. And so they followed these instructions and that night the Spirit of God came through Egypt. You can only imagine. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the Egyptians. Still, my heart grieves for the hurt and the loss they experienced. But that did not happen in the home of the Israelites, which, because their homes were covered by the blood of the sacrificed Passover lamb. And finally, this so affected the Pharaoh that he let the people go. And so it was through this sacrifice of the Passover lamb that the Israelites were delivered basically from two things, from death and from their slavery, their captivity in Egypt is they were covered by the blood of the Passover lamb. And so this was such a monumental event. God never wanted his people to forget it. He said, I want you to celebrate this Passover meal every year to always let your minds be brought back. This is a pivotal time in your history, in our history. And so in obedience to those instructions, we follow the story and year after year, century after century, God's people observed the Passover until now we are brought into to Luke chapter 22. We find Jesus in Jerusalem with his disciples and they're about to celebrate the Passover meal. It was huge, huge event for the Jewish people. Historians will tell us at this time when Jesus was with his disciples, there were about 400,000. That's a huge city for that time. 400,000 inhabitants in Jerusalem. But because this was such a, an event that, it, that, that embraced a pilgrimage, that there were probably even another 2 million, excuse me, plus people that had come to Jerusalem. Crowded. The historian Josephus writes, who was alive at this time, that there were 256,000 people Passover lambs, because of the number of people, there were 256,000 Passover lambs that were sacrificed in a very short time on this day. And this reminds me, you should read this this week, of Hebrews chapter 9 and 10. And so this, is, this was the work of the priests. They were butchers. You imagine the blood. And it wasn't just on the Passover. It was every day sacrificing lambs. Every day, every week, every month at the annual festivals. Thousands and thousands and thousands of animals sacrificed. But none of them could, could do it. Something was always lacking. They couldn't completely remove sin. But when Jesus... Our Passover lamb came. This is beautiful in, in Hebrews. It says he was sacrificed once and for all to make us holy. That we are now holy before him. And there's no longer, that passage tells us, a need for a further sacrifice. Oh, hear this truth. What Jesus did for you on the cross was enough. It was enough. And so with this meal in Luke chapter 22, you could say Jesus ended something and he began something. This is the last of the official Passovers. There had been so many. And this was 
the beginning of the Lord's Supper. The Passover would find its fulfillment in Christ. It would be replaced by the Lord's Supper. And it would be something that Jesus' followers would continue. And they did. And they still are. And we will today. We're connecting with something that's been a part of God's people for so many generations. So let's enter the story in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, verse 10, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, following him, follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asked, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples, verse 12, he will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, and so they prepared the Passover. So at first glance, it's kind of like this reads like a, a spy story. Go to Jerusalem, look for the guy carrying the water jar. Look for the guy in the black trench coat with a handlebar mustache, sitting on a bench, reading a newspaper, follow him. Well, how many guys must have been carrying a water jar in Jerusalem? How do I know which one it is that I'm supposed to follow? Actually, not too complicated. <laughs> carrying the water jar was the job of the women at this time. So a, a man carrying a water jar, there have been like one guy standing out like a sore thumb. But still you're kind of thinking, why the secrecy? Why not just say, go to the house of John Doe, 235 Elm Street. Why this secrecy? Follow this guy with the water jar. I believe there's two reasons for the, for the secrecy. First of all, how many people were in Jerusalem and Jesus was incredibly popular in this moment. Had the crowds found out where Jesus were, was going to be? He would have lost this moment with his disciples. But secondly, Judas was right there among the people. And had Judas found out in advance where they were going to be, it might have meant Jesus being arrested prematurely. He did not want this. Jesus wanted this moment alone with his disciples. In preparing the Passover, Peter and John would have, they would have taken the, the lamb to the temple they would have had it sacrificed and then they would have roasted the lamb they would have prepared the unleavened bread they would have prepared bitter herbs they would have at this time also brought in this very thick dip called charoseth for the bread and they would have brought lots of wine not because it was going to be a big party but in the Passover feast there was four times when you drank from the cup. And so we read in verse 14, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. So you, you see that? Do you picture that? And I say that because it's so different than our tradition of passing the trays, seated quietly, looking at the back of someone else's head during a time of personal reflection. That wasn't Passover. That wasn't this meal. 
Passover was a time of communion. It was a time of conversation with others around the table. It involved children. It didn't exclude the children. It was a time of teaching and explanation. It was a time when the, the father of the oldest male in the meal would tell the Haggadah. That would be, he would tell the story of the exodus in Egypt. But their conversation, it wasn't casual conversation about politics or the sporting events of the day. If it were today, you can, they might be tempted to talk about the final four. LSU is going to be in the championship. They didn't talk about that. Or this girl in Iowa with a phenomenon of basketball. They didn't talk about that. Or Donald Trump indicted. Not such conversations in this moment. This was all surrounding a memorial of what God had done for them. And so we keep that in mind as we commune with one another. With each of the four drinks of the wine, there, there was a, a blessing that, that was given, an expression of thanks to God. And as they eat, ate together, it wasn't just random food. Each of the dishes represented something that reminded them of this event. The lamb, the Passover lamb, they ate that lamb. The charoset, this was a, a, a thick dip that reminded them when they were slaves of the mortar of putting those bricks together. There was salt water there that they dipped the bread or the bitter herbs in reminded of them their tears. There were the bitter herbs reminding of the bitter experience in Egypt. There was the unleavened bread reminding of them the hurry that they were in. And you can only imagine as Jesus was seated there with his disciples and as he looked down at the meat of that lamb, he realized he is that Lamb that was going to be slaughtered. Verse 15, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. You feel the emotions. We have to understand that just as much as you would have been feeling the anticipation and the dread of I'm tomorrow just a few hours from now, I'm going to be arrested. They're going to beat me near to death. And they're going to kill me on a cross. Just as you would have felt this anticipation of that. Jesus felt it in his humanity. But there's another mixed emotion that accompanied it. It says that I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover. You could translate that because it's got the same word used twice for emphasis. I have desired with great desire. To have this moment with you. This is something he looked forward to. Something he had planned. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1. Before the creation of the world. He longed with delight to share in this moment with his disciples. Which may be surprising if you know who they are. Judas. His betrayer. Was there. And I'm just thinking. Maybe Jesus should have said. Uh, we know what's going on here. <laughs> Judas. You're not welcome at this table. But listen, see, the Passover, the host, Jesus is the host. You didn't just randomly sit wherever you want. You were seated in the arrangements where the host would place you. You look in John chapter 13. There were two people on each side of Jesus. It's clear. It was John 
And it was Judas. <laughs> what grace. What love. And then in just a short while from now, Peter is going to say, I don't even know him. Jesus included him at the table. Thomas was there. He didn't even believe Jesus. He doubted Jesus. He was there. And all the others who would soon desert Jesus in a time when Jesus, it would seem, would need them to mo the most. They were there. They were welcome there. What love. What grace. Who is welcome at this table? Broken failures in need of a Savior. You're welcome. And so am I at this table. With great desire, he eagerly desires for you to commune with him in this memorial meal. And then in speaking of the Passover, he goes on to say in verse 16, For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. It's likely here that we're seeing the first drinking of these four cups. Actually, the Greek word there, it's kind of a, just a sideline point. Eucharisteo is the word give thanks, from which we get the word Eucharist. Some religious organizations call this event the Eucharist. But I believe in verse 16 when Jesus speaks of the Passover meal, finding its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, I won't do this again until I do it with you in the kingdom of God. I believe it's in reference to two things that, that Jesus is speaking, not only of his death and his resurrection, that would bring in the kingdom of God in Acts chapter 1 and 2, which we read of with the establishment of the church. But I believe it's also what we saw last week in, in 1 Corinthians, where as we take the Lord's Supper, we're not just looking back and remembering, but it is a looking forward, an anticipation of the wedding supper of the Lamb that we will celebrate in His eternal kingdom. What we are going to experience is a, is a foreshadowing. It's a foretaste of things to come. And so now, before we read further, I want us to actively enter into this story. In a moment, I'm going to ask you, not yet, to get up and go to the tables. If you choose to go to the tables, if not, we have another plan for you. Take your bread, take your cup, don't eat it, don't drink it yet. Just back away so others can get it. Upon my cue, I'll let you know when to take it. If you prefer to stay seated at your chairs, we have uh, communion sets here and here and there for you to get and to go back to your seat. So that you can also take communion where you're seated. For those of you that are live streaming with us, we really would love for you to participate with us in this as well. And for two weeks, I was so impressed with the word. The word that really resonated that I heard more than anything was the word sacred. As I studied this, this round of series. And that's what we call this, a sacred meal. And so as a... 
expression of the sacred nature of this meal as we go to the tables I'm going to ask that we remain silent that we in that moment uh, focus in silence on Christ and, and though there will be human silence we're going to have a song that we play and the words are beautiful words that remind us of their very purpose in the heart and you're, you, I would encourage you to listen to these words or you can actually lead, read the lyrics that are on the screen so let, let's stand together now and let's go and get the bread and the cup and once everybody has their bread and cup we will take communion together so it was likely at this time of the meal that they had their second cup they've eaten the lamb that represents the Passover lamb that was sacrificed to get them out of Egypt deliver them from the death They've eaten the bitter herbs to remind them of how bitter their life circumstance was. They've dipped the herbs in, in salt water to remind them of their tears. We, we know tears. And the charoseth they ate to remind them of the hard work of laying brick upon brick. And they took the lamb to remind them of the Passover lamb. It was somewhere in this moment that Jesus made the transition from the last Passover to the first Lord's Supper with these words. And he took bread, he gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I, I love the words for you. This is for you. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled that you would include us at this table. We are honored sharing this meal with you and with one another. We give thanks to you, our Passover lamb, for our deliverance from death and for our deliverance from our captivity of sin. And so we take this bread to remember your body given for us. Let's take the bread. So with the cup, it was likely now in this meal, this was probably the third cup. And at the third cup of the Passover meal, Jesus spoke these words in the same way after the supper. He took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And you notice two things here. It's a new covenant. This is a reminder. We're remembering in this moment a promise. And blood was always shed in the story of the Israelites when there was a promise because it was basically their way of saying, may what happened to this animal happen to me if I don't keep my promise. So in this moment, we remember God's promise to us. Because we forget it. We forget who we are. You are forgiven. You are holy. You are my child. And again, the beautiful words that are there. This is for you. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for this sacred meal and for this cup that represents your blood that actually should have been our blood. We thank you for the truth that is by your blood, that there is nothing 
but the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all our sins that we may stand before you forgiven. We take this cup in Jesus' name. You may take the cup. And so now as um, communing with Christ, but also we've learned in 1 Corinthians we are to commune with one another. We're going to break the silence. And I want to encourage you to greet one another. I want to encourage you to hug someone. I want, if there's somebody here that you don't know that's new as a guest, go introduce yourself to them. If you're here and you're carrying a heavy burden, you need somebody to pray with you. Grab someone and say, would you pray with me? If you know them, you grab them. And those of you that are live streaming, text one of us, call somebody, or if you know somebody that's live streaming, I would encourage you to reach out to them. And if you are new here in this fellowship and this is something you're uncertain of and you're learning and you want to talk to one of us, let us know. Our worship team is going to come up on the stage in a minute and when they start singing, that's your cue to go back to your seats. Let's commune together. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.